0: There we go. So two weeks ago, as one of the ways of introducing this idea about prayer, I tried to address the question of why praying is hard for most of us. And uh, I mentioned two weeks ago that, uh, and one of the things that, uh, they're finding it obviously, one of the things that um, Paul Miller says in his book that's particularly helpful is uh, that praying isn't about getting from God something we want, And praying isn't about giving God something we want. So one of the things that makes prayer hard is that we tend to think we need to get something from God and we don't always get it. Or we tend to think God wants something from us and we don't always feel adequate in giving God what he wants. Prayer isn't about that. What Paul Miller says is prayer is about getting to know God. It's the reason we have conversations with people. We get to know one another. And I'd add something else to what Paul Miller says. Prayer not only helps us get to know God, it helps us get to know ourselves as well. And if you guys wind up not finding it, I'll just tell um, Josh when to to move to the next one. But I mentioned that one of the things that helps about prayer uh, being uh, hard for most of us is, so what does the Lord do? He gives us pages and pages, evidence, if you will, of him responding to our prayers, one of the things we should know about God is he's always listening to his children and he is always responding to them. Always. Not necessarily like we want him to, but he's always responding. That's what, we, that's what we see when we look at all the examples in the Bible. He's always listening and he's always responding. But there's also something else he keeps telling us in the pages of Scripture, particularly Jesus told us this about prayer, is we need to persevere. Because there's going to be a temptation to lose heart in our prayers. Uh, Because there's something about prayer that's a little bit mysterious and hard for us. And so Jesus just says, keep at it, keep at it, keep uh, persevering. And then the third thing I mentioned is that there is uh, a beautiful description of prayer uh, where it's described as uh, God is our father and we are the child. And so if you think of a little child babbling away to get their father's attention, think of the father as absolutely loving the babbling of their child, unlike a lot of young fathers. But, uh, but God loves our babbling, so don't, don't get caught up in how well you're babbling. Just babble away. Uh, that's really what the principle that we saw in Hebrews chapter 4 is. This principle where it says, uh, Since we have such a great high priest who's made it possible for sinners to have a different status in the presence of their father. They're not a sinner anymore. They're an adopted child who's perfectly delighted in by their father. Because we have such a high priest who's achieved that for us, let us keep over and over and over again drawing near to the throne with confidence because there's a tendency for us to draw away from the throne because of our unworthiness. So keep on drawing near with confidence. So that's, those are some of the things that were helpful in um, uh, thinking about why prayer is hard for most of us and how God gets that and does something uh, to invite us in. I want to say one more word about something else before we really get to what the message is about today. And that is the next slide. Uh, and that is a word about praying together or what we sometimes call corporate uh, prayer. And by that, I mean, I'm not talking about your private prayer life. I'm talking about you praying with other believers. So if I asked you the question, would you say Red Cedar is a praying church? Some of you may not even know Red Cedar well enough to know how to answer that. Uh, I've wrestled over how do we even define that? How do we even know how to measure that? Well, let me say one thing. Red Cedar is a praying church. For the most part, our small groups, when they meet, they spend some time uh, praying together. Uh, We have women in this church who have been praying for this church and for this greater area for decades. I really wanted them up here to share today, but uh, they humbly or fearfully, I'm not sure which, declined, uh, but that's okay. I, I love that history of this church. Uh, we also have men who meet here every Thursday morning at 6 30 and invite anybody else to come and pray with them. Uh, and then uh, we pray uh, in church, right? We just had Abe pray for us. That's part of corporate prayer as well. Some churches are getting rid of that because it's kind of a long boring part of the service. I'm glad we don't because God's actually listening to all our prayers and responding. And do you know one of my most favorite activities in my life as a pastor, when Becca told what she loved uh, about ministry, you know one of the things that I love, and I'm always surprised how much I love it, is when our elders in our elder meeting take time to pray by name for people in this church. And pretty much in a year, we've covered everybody, sometimes maybe twice we've prayed for people. And just listening to us go around and hearing about the specific needs of so many in church is such a energizing experience for me. So yes, Red Cedar really is a praying church. In fact, in the book of Acts, the sort of beginning history of the Christian church, you could almost say this. Even though it never commands local churches to pray together, it's assumed. It's assumed that a healthy church, the DNA of a healthy church, is where people pray together. In fact, so much so that I would say I dare you to find a group of believers gathering in the book of Acts who are not praying together. It was just part of their ethos. Uh, Now, having said that, it's interesting. I think group prayer, for most of us, is like a guy like me joining a Pilates class. It's awkward and I'm hyper self-conscious. I don't say that because I've participated in some group prayer at Red Cedar. I say that because I've participated in 40 years of group prayer in four different churches in four different places in this country. And it's always the same. You know, it's like a middle schooler deciding to pick trumpet and be in the band. And the first day he comes to class, the band leader says, okay, solo for us. I mean, it just, it just isn't a, it's an area where I think we could really use some, some sort of thinking outside the box. So I'm just going to, this is all I'm going to say, and then we're going to move on to the subject here before we run out of time. Um, I want you to think of a somewhat famous verse in the Bible, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus says, I stand at the door, and I knock. He who hears my voice and opens the door... I will come into you. Now, it's tempting to just kind of forget the last few verse, words of that verse. I will come into you, and what will he do? Sup with us or eat with us, and we with him. Now, if you think of that as a description of a relationship, that sounds like, wow, that feels relaxed and natural and back and forth conversation. So it really is the picture, I think, of what corporate prayer ought to be. It ought to be this sort of, it ought to get to the place where it's kind of natural to be talking out loud together. But here's what we tend to do with corporate prayer. We tend to be a lot of people who are, having, who are praying to God and just by coincidence we happen to be in the same room and we're praying out loud when we do that. Uh, We're not actually having a conversation together. And so even here's, so part of it is sometimes, you know, let's say someone is struggling with something and they talk to the Lord about it. If you're the next person praying, you could say, oh, Lord, I I identify with that struggle or that must hurt. You know, you, you respond to that. You're keeping the conversation going. And so here's an out of the box kind of thing. I almost think sometimes you ought to try this. You ought to put an empty chair in the circle when you're praying, and you ought to open your eyes and you ought to have a conversation with Jesus together and call it corporate prayer. Just do it. by the way, did you notice today that we all prayed together out loud at the same time? Did you catch that? When was it? Speak, O oh Lord, We were singing that to him, and you didn't even notice it. See, you do it you pray corporately without even knowing it. but it's just a great area, I think, where we could still use some improvement and we could grow in this and we could get to the place where Pilates doesn't feel so awkward. Now, what I really want to talk about today is the next slide. And that is, uh, I first have talked about how prayer can be hard. I want to talk about how prayer can be so energizing for many of us. Uh, I was very tempted in this second message on prayer to just give you tons of helpful tips and tools. Uh, some of you gave them to me even this uh, this last week. Uh, one person was showing me uh, a, a beautiful book on how to pray through the Psalms. Uh, I mean, after all, God gave us 150 prayers to teach us how to pray. Uh, and, uh, and so that's that's one option. Someone else said, get in a quiet place and pray out loud, which I've done many of the times. In fact, the beauty of technology now is you can walk around your neighborhood and pray out loud and no one thinks you're talking to God. Um, the, so, so that's, you know, there's lots of great techniques. Sometimes you don't even know what to pray. Here's another thought for corporate prayer. Give everybody the Book of Common Prayer and have them pass it around and just pray a prayer. Uh, That's a beautiful way to pray. There's nothing artificial about that. And it'll also teach you that prayer is a lot more diverse than you probably naturally think of. So I could go on and on and on. I've used a prayer journal all my life that's benefited me. Paul Miller's book has a whole bunch of examples in the back of how to, specific things you can do. Some of those things work for some people. Some of them don't. But I actually don't want to talk about methods. I don't think that's as helpful perhaps as we would like it to be. It is helpful, though. What I want to talk about is what the Bible seems to talk about, which is not how to pray, but who to pray with. Not how to pray, but who to pray with. So, let me unpack the mystery. Ephesians chapter 6. Dave read it for us. Why don't you turn there if you have a Bible. Ephesians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 10, really, he read us all the way through. I'm only going to focus it on the last verse that Dave read for us, the verse 18, which is, uh, in, it's all about praying. And here, here's the phrase. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Now, if I was, if I was in, in church... And that was the first time this Ephesians was ever preached. And Paul was the one preaching it. Uh, And and he just kept going on. I'd want to say, wait, 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 wait. What does that mean? Like if he took out in the spirit, I wouldn't have a problem with verse 18. Praying at all times, with all prayer and supplication, keeping alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I get that. What does it mean to pray in the spirit? You know, there are times in the Bible when it just says something and it doesn't explain it. Doesn't that just drive you crazy? But this is the beauty of God's word. It assumes that we will look at other places in the words. It assumes that we'll collect other different areas. In fact, the old timers used to call this the analogy of the faith. It was the idea that when you found a phrase or something like it, you went in all the other books of the Bible, and you found the same idea, and then you connected them together and tried to figure out what it was saying. So that's what we're going to do here. So bear with me. We're going to do a little bit of sort of uh, homework here. There's only one other place where this exact phrase is used. It's in the book of Jude, which is the one chapter book. It's verse 20. It says, praying in the spirit. Again, it's just assumed it's not explained as to what it is, What's the two things Ephesians 6 and Jude 20 have in common? Well, they're both in the context of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare, the cosmic battle that all believers fight. Which is why the first thing, next slide, that I will say, is that praying in the spirit is a way, at the very least, of weaponizing normal prayer. It's a way of weaponizing normal prayer, in other words, making it a more powerful tool. The other thing I notice about Ephesians 6.18 is praying at all times in the Spirit is a command. Which, by the way, just a little footnote, rabbit trail. Praying in the Spirit is not the same thing as praying in tongues, which is what the Bible also talks about. Why do I say that? I can say that with absolute confidence. Praying in tongues is a spiritual gift. It's clearly not given to every believer. So a command is for every believer Praying in the tongues is something else. So we know it's not that. So what is praying in the spirit then? Well, we know one thing. It's, if it's a command, we're not passive. Somehow we participate in this process. It requires our active participation. So I would say here, and this is the second slide here, is the emphasis is about who we are praying with, not how we are praying. Praying in the spirit is not some kind of formula that you use when you pray. It's about a consciousness of who you pray with. So let me give you uh, an example of this. If you're in the book of Ephesians, go to the next book, Philippians, which we'll be in for some time. Back in the day when you had a Bible and you bought it brand new and it had a gold on the outside. Remember the pages had, every single page had a little bit of gold. And I bought my first Bible, um, uh, of, of all things I bought it at a Mormon bookstore there's a whole other story there but uh, uh, and I guide the guy who was in crew leading me to Christ uh, basically said let's let's start in the book of Romans and I just remember that uh, Romans after about three months uh, it was the only place in my Bible a little sliver there was no gold So you sort of wore the gold off every... uh, That was the whole idea, but I don't know where I went with that. But anyway, let's get back to... Oh, wear the gold off, you know, this next week, or next few months in, in Philippians. Philippians 2, verse 12. Too many words, Rick. Slow down. Verse 12. I want you to notice how verse 12 speaks about the active part of us and verse 13, the active part of the spirit and how they work in kind of a like two pedals on a bicycle. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Be intense about becoming more saved, so to speak, more, more Christ in you, more Christ out of you. Not in the sense that you're more saved, but in the sense that Christ is like a seed that's in us. So fertilize it, you know, you're not going to lose that seed, but fertilize it. So work it out with intensity. Then look at verse 13. Because, for, it is God who works in you doing two things, both to give you the will to want to do it and the power to want to do it. So here is God working in us in this sense It's like work out your intensity with the God who's at work within you or out of the God who is at work within you. Don't work out your intensity all by yourself. Actively pray as you depend upon the Spirit who's also praying with you. That's the idea here. So it's a command. It's not about praying with uh, how. It's about praying with who. And then, next slide, it's about keeping in step with the Spirit. Let me show you, uh, since we're all in these same books here, go to Galatians, which is the book right before Ephesians. There's an interesting little connection here in Galatians 5. Galatians 5:16. 5, But I say walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And then a couple of verses later, verse 18, if you are led by the spirit, you're not under law. So I take those as the same thing. To walk by the spirit is to be led by the spirit. One puts the emphasis on our response. The other one puts the emphasis on the spirit's leading. The sort of spirit active side, verse 18, our active side, verse uh, 16. So we're, we're working together. And then, if you look at back at Ephesians, we're almost done flipping around here, Ephesians 5, 18. For some of you, this is also a famous verse. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, that's excessiveness, etc. But be what? Filled with the Spirit. Now, why would Paul use this beautiful illustration? Because there's a similarity When you have too much alcohol in in you, guess what controls you? We all know it's the alcohol, right? So, and not that we can get more Holy Spirit, but as we yield more to the Spirit, the Spirit actually has that kind of powerful influence over us the same way alcohol has a powerful influence over us. And then if you want a beautiful visual of this, think of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. Take my yoke upon you and walk beside me. Don't run ahead of me. Don't go back. Learn from me. I'm gentle in my way. So it's this picture of keeping in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is leading us. We're walking with the Spirit. How do we we learn to live life sensitized to the Spirit and in tandem with the Spirit? One last example, and this passage is actually in your bulletin. It's Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Again, it's in your bulletin if you don't can't find it fast enough in your, in your Bible or a Bible. I want you to see that the key verse, I think, in this paragraph is verse 14. It says, all who are led by the Spirit are what? Sons of God. Now, you can read that two different ways, but it essentially means the same thing. If you really are being led by the spirit that's proof that you belong to god or another way if you belong to god you will definitely be led by the spirit you cannot not be both of those are essentially two ways of saying the same thing but it's important to notice what comes before and what comes after what does the spirit lead us to do verses 12 and 13 so then brothers and sisters we are debtors not to oh i have this verse up there don't i or do I not? Do I have it up there on the next slide? I don't have Romans 8 up there? Oh, okay. So this is all about, here's the, here's the point. You can, keep, you can keep that slide back up there, though. Okay, so that's okay. You just listen to my words for a few minutes. The reason I actually use the slides because I'm, I'm too boring to listen to. I re- so I need the slides to assist me. So I'm going to go real fast here. Now look at the passage there in your bulletin or your Bible. What does the Spirit lead us to do? We are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit, what are you doing? Putting to death the deeds of the body. So the Holy Spirit enables us, right, to fight sin, to have more of Christ come out of us. That should be a pretty average understanding. But notice what comes afterwards, which also talks about the Holy Spirit. By the way, if you want a chapter in the Bible, if you want a chapter in the Bible that speaks more about the Holy Spirit than any other chapter in the Bible, I'd love to be proved wrong on this, by the way. It's Romans chapter 8. Many, many, many uh, truths about the Holy Spirit. But now look at 15 and 16. Now, understand this. You did not receive the spirit of slavery. To fall back into fear, but you receive the Spirit as adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our Spirit that we are, in fact, children of God. And then He goes on to speak about all that we have as children of God in verse 17. So here's how I put that together What the Holy Spirit enables us to do is to fight sin, verse 13 out of a spirit of, verses 15 and 16. We fight sin not out of fear of slavery. Oh no, if I, don't, if I don't fight sin, I'll never get to heaven. We don't do that. We don't fight sin in order to hold on to God's favor. That's, a spirit, that's the spirit of fear. We don't fight sin so that God won't reject us. We fight sin because he'll never reject us. We fight sin out of a response of gratitude. And the Holy Spirit helps us make sure that that hose between us and God does not get kinked. Because when grace stops flowing and all we're left with is obedience and works, it kills the spirit of Christianity and grieves the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is constantly realigning our motives. If I can put it this way, he's constantly reminding us that sin is not our battle. It's an us battle, and he's our partner in it. And that's hugely hope-giving and encouraging. So, here's uh, let, me, let me try to sort of narrow this down into where we're going with all this. Paul Miller makes an interesting statement in his book. I think it's the next slide. There we go. All of Jesus' teaching on prayer in the Gospels, meaning Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, can be summarized with this one word, ask. So think about this for just a moment. Here's Jesus. He's in his last hours with his disciples. He knows that every word that comes out of his mouth is going to be supernaturally recalled, but also profoundly more important in some sense than anything he's said before because of about what's about to happen. And so he spends time with them. You can see this discourse from John 13, but especially the the discourse in 14, 15, and 16. Do you know what he keeps saying over and over again? Chapter 14, guys, listen to me. I want you to ask anything of the Father in my name, and I will do it. One chapter later, guys, I want to tell you again, you need to ask anything in my name to the Father, and I promise you I will do it. One more chapter, chapter 16. Guys, ask anything in the Father's name and I will do it. I wonder what their problem is. It's our problem, isn't it? Jesus then, by the way, models it in John chapter 17. (laughs) Um, So I like what um, Paul Miller says. It's another way of speaking about prayer in the Spirit. Ask boldly while surrendering completely ask boldly I'm not there yet I'll be there in just a second that's such a that's but good guess good guess it was a complicated slide so I want to make sure everybody's got you know digested what I've just said first but um, so uh, ask boldly while surrendering completely here's here's a uh, beautiful example of it in a children's famous story about three guys who are the only Hebrew names that children memorize. Do you know what they are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I dare one of you to name your kids that. Um, So they're about to be thrown into this furnace. And they say, "O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. um, Because he says, who's the God who will deliver you out of my hands? He says, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king, asking boldly. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage. Sorry, um, uh, did I miss it? No, here it is, here it is. Uh, Oh, here it is. I did miss it. I did miss it. That was verse 17, so let me do it again. So here they respond asking boldly, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And then they say confidently, he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And then these three little words, which change everything, the surrender completely words. But if not, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. He says, but if not, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So it's a beautiful example in my mind of that asking boldly we know god can but we take our request and we open our hand wide and let god decide however it turns out you'll see that again in philippians with the apostle paul but i want to so here's the here's the slide and this is a mouthful so i'm just gonna um, i'm just gonna give it to you like this this is the summary praying of the spirit is to pray under the spirit's supervision In other words it's to ask boldly and the reason we can do that is because of Jesus who's changed forever our status with the father so we never have to feel unworthy even if it's what we're asking boldly for is God would you cleanse me yet again from this horrible sin that I keep committing over and over again he loves the sound of our voice when we say that It's to ask boldly because of Jesus while surrendering completely, to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading who does two things. He influences our prayer request, sometimes modifying it, and he helps us detect God's response. This is what can make prayer so incredibly energizing. You're really in this tandem with the Holy Spirit. Now, for the sake of time, I am going to blitz over these last couple of things. So why don't you go all the way. Let's just go through a few slides here. Yeah, keep going till we get, keep going, keep going. There we go, there we go, and there. So uh, praying in the spirit does three things. I'll just briefly talk about these things. When you learn to pray in the spirit, sort of conscious, aware, tuning in as best you're able, it always feels a little bit mysterious at the beginning, it becomes much more concrete and real as time goes on. One thing that happens, it will improve the content of your prayers. You'll start praying for broader prayers. You'll start praying for more things. Because you know what'll happen? God will start using his word because if you want to know what the what the Spirit's saying to you, nine times out of ten, he's always going to speak through the written word. That's why it's called the Sword of the Spirit. And the more that you're in this word, the more the Holy Spirit will be in your prayer life. Those two things go hand in hand uh, together. And when the the Spirit connects the big picture of the word, not just Bible verses, but what all the Bible verses point to, the big picture, when the Holy Spirit connects that to your prayer life, you will discover that you'll wind up praying for more than just relief when you're dealing with a burden. I love this example in uh, the book. Where is it? Uh, I think I have it here. This book, Side by Side. Let me just give you one example of how how the Holy Spirit and the Word of God merge together to influence how you ask for, for a prayer request. So let's say you have this burden. I have been so tired. I feel like I'm always a few steps behind on everything. Then you attach scripture to it. And then you ask. So, would you pray that I would rest in Jesus, like Matthew 11 says, where he would take my yoke and I'd find rest in him? Or maybe this is so hard, would you pray for healing for my daughter? But then you attach a scripture. Would you also pray for perseverance, that I'd be able to fix my eyes on things that are not seen, and so forth and so forth? You're merging together the voice of the Holy Spirit with your burden. And as a result, Your prayer life is about more than just the relief of a burden. It's open now to God answering your prayer request in multiple ways. You see what I'm talking about? And not only that, it increases the connection between God's heart and ours. That should be somewhat obvious. The more you're tuned into the Word of God through the Spirit of God on your specific situation, the more your prayers are going to be lining up with God. So think of it this way. The Holy Spirit and the Father are in constant conversation and you're being swept into it. You know, when you're speaking with someone else and you don't really know them that well and all of a sudden you get onto a subject, uh, it might be a hobby, it might be politics, it might be kids, and you, you suddenly start connecting with each other and you just go, yes, you know they're getting me. I'm getting them. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's taking the details of our life as we start a conversation with the father, and he's lining him up with what he and the father are talking about, so that the kingdom of God and the big picture start becoming part of our conversation of our specific needs, and inevitably they wind up reinterpreting the very details of our life. Again, prayer is about getting to know God and ourselves, and finally it shouldn't surprise us. And by the way, this is a the signal to bring the kids up, this is a perfect time, time to do it. So I don't know who's, if Matt's already on the way to do that. But thank you, Matt. Lastly, it raises our expectancy in prayer. I love this verse, Psalm 5. You can show this one. The last thing I'm going to say. O Lord of the morning, you hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare sacrifice, which is another way of saying, in fact, uh, in fact uh, actually, another translation is, I order my prayer. So sacrifice and prayer, same idea here. I prepare a sacrifice for you, and this last word always gets me. And then I watch. And then I watch. I wonder how much more energizing our prayer life would be. If every time we babble before the Father, not even knowing half the time what we should be asking for. We always knew every single time it's heard and God responds, but we're not really quite sure how to detect that response. But instead of just going, oh well, we're like the watchman on the wall and we are on active watch all day long. Is this it? Oh, oh, that's that's totally unexpected. But I can see how that's the answer. That's the beauty of just living in that state of expectancy. Makes prayer so much more energizing. Last slide. And I'll go ahead and ask the guys coming forward. And before I wrap it all up here and the worship team as well. So just to kind of pull two messages together as we come to the table. I think prayer is hard for most of us. We, we shouldn't feel bad about that because the Lord doesn't seem to feel bad about that. He knows it's hard for us. But he also gives us the spirit so that even though prayer is hard for most of us, it can be energizing for many of us. And it's really because of the life the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that has forever changed our status, that it's possible for a sinner to come in the presence of a holy God, not as a condemned sinner, but as a child that the Father absolutely delights in. I don't think I've gone out on a limb when I say this. I think the Father... Loves the sound of your voice, no matter what it's filled with, more than you will ever love the sound of his. Because of Christ, he does not see you as a condemned sinner, but as his fully embraced adopted child. So as you come today, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior and King, and if you're new to us, we come up the center aisle, we get bread and cup, and then I'll lead us in taking it together. Draw near to this throne of confidence, this place of grace where there's always time to help, because and draw near with confidence because of this great high priest that we feast on this morning. Take a moment, reflect on that. Actually, before you reflect on that, Matt, bring the kids in uh, and and Oh, they're going to come in perfectly quietly. That's great. Why don't you guys take a moment, reflect on this, and then I'll pray for us as people get settled. father right now you're bending your ear toward us and we are not praying alone your son is at your right hand praying on behalf of all of us your spirit is coaching and assisting and interpreting and translating and reworking our prayers and our ability to detect it what a treat what a gift And we come in so much gratitude today to feast on the one who's made our conversation possible. In Jesus' great name.